receive divine light if you're a Christian. You, you have been enlightened. You've been enveloped by darkness and you could not see. If you came to a point where you were given eyes to see, first of all, the horrors of your sin and mine, the consequence, the offense it brought to a sinless and holy God. And then when your eyes were opened to see that uh, his response was compassionate grace and mercy, a serious willingness to forgive at a great personal cost. When you were enlightened to see all that, you were different from that day forward. You see life differently. You see death and dying differently. You see past, present, and future through entirely different eyes. You, you, you have the mind of Christ. You did not. That's what light does. Last week, we got a glimpse of God's wonderful provision of light while the Israelites were preparing to begin their wilderness journey. They're still in camp. And he illuminated uh, the holy place of the tabernacle in which no natural light could enter. And he illuminated it through a specially fashioned golden lampstand, which had to be uh, constructed according to the specific pattern which God revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai. And we spoke about it in some detail, came to the conclusion that it was a marvelous representation of the Lord Jesus, who, who is the light of the world, is he not? That's, that's not natural illumination, divinely provided. The golden lampstand represents the Lord Jesus, the light of the world. So a fair question uh, could be asked. Now that there has been divine light, how do we live? Those of us who have been enlightened. Because if there is not the right response to enlightenment, uh, then in essence we have extinguished the light. So tonight I'd like to chat uh, for a spell about what divine light is to lead to. Divine light is supposed to lead to dedicated lives. That is not to be the exception to the rule to those of us who have been enlightened, Christians. It's the normal Christian life. Divine light must lead to dedicated lives. And I would like to demonstrate this point in a sort of obscure way by calling your attention to the text with which is before us tonight. It's in Numbers chapter 8, beginning in, in verse 5. Numbers 8, verse 5. A marvelous text. It all is, isn't it? It's God's, it's God's word. Uh, numbers, I say this is unusual because it's about the Levites and I don't relate to them and you don't relate to, I mean, it's thousands of years ago and all the rest, but bear with me. I think you'll, you'll see a, a very clear application. Uh, so Numbers chapter 8 verse 5. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites from among the sons of Israel, cleanse them, and, and, and thus you shall do to them for their cleansing, sprinkle purifying water on them, and let them use a razor over their whole body, wash their clothes, and they'll be clean. And the Levites are already privy to the covenant of God. They're, 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 they're already in relationship with him. He is already their redeemer and, and deliverer. So what are they supposed to do now? They're supposed to serve. That's what they're supposed to do. 
But they could not serve, they knew this, in a state of uncleanness. The audacity of the enlightened person to think, I can render an impure offering of service to Almighty God. I claim. Before the service of the Levites proceeded, they had to go through an extensive cleansing procedure. All of it is is a symbol, a representation of separation from uncleanness in the world. Because they're about to offer themselves, if you will, as living sacrifices for service. They knew, having been enlightened, they had no option but to get it, dedicate their lives to the work and worship of Almighty God. The notion of the enlightened one, the born-again believer, passively being involved in the Christian life, rather than being actively engaged in serving, is foreign to the Bible. It just doesn't, it's an anomaly that a truly enlightened one would not commit his or her life to dedicated service to the glory of, of Almighty God. It's just, you just don't see it. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the norm. And so the Levites knew, oh, we have been enlightened, we have been called, but before we render a life of dedicated service, we, we have to declare our separation from that which would render us unclean and, and impure. It's grotesque hypocrisy, dear folks, to render an impure offering to Almighty God, who is intensely holy, unapproachably so, apart from the blood of the Lamb. The buck stops with personal cleansing. Before I embark on the quest to find my platform of ministry and service that brings satisfaction and that is pleasing to Almighty God, I gotta clean up my act. I gotta watch what I'm watching on TV. I gotta watch what I'm touching, what I'm doing, what I, what I, how I'm dressing. I, I, this is Almighty God. And so you have this process of, of cleansing and uh, uh, being sprinkled with purifying water and the, and the shaving of hair and all, all the, the rest. And then it was followed by the offering of sacrifices. You see it in verse 8. Then let them take a bull with its grain offering, a fine flour mixed with oil, and a second bull you shall take for a sin offering. Because, oh my they had not attained a state of sinlessness. They knew the sinless one and were in relationship with him by his grace. But, but they still had a sin nature. And they offered, therefore, again, first the cleansing. And before they embarked on a life of dedicated service for the proper procedures to, to, to deal with, uh, the nakedness of their own sin, personal cleansing, and then the offering of sacrifices. And then they were presented, these Levites. They were presented before the Lord uh, at the behest of the entire community of faith, like this one, at the behest of the entire community of faith, who laid their hands on them. You see it in verse 9? So you shall present the Levites before the tent of meeting. You shall also assemble the whole congregation of the sons of Israel and present the Levites before the Lord. And the sons of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. We still practice the ceremony of the laying on of hands on various occasions today. 
There's no magic in it. It's better. <laughs> it means we're with you. We're alongside you. We are behind you. We will lift you up when you need to be lifted up. We got your back. We recognize what God has done, is doing, and wills to do in your life. You're not striking out on this area of service as some uh, self-seeking, personally ambitious lone ranger. No. We, the community of faith, see that God has called you, equipped you, and has led you into this area of service you now are obediently choosing to embark on. We, by extension, uh, symbolically lay our hands on you so as to say, this is our vote of approval. Absolutely, we are with you. That's what they, that's what they did. It's a, it's a sign of affirmation, a partnership. And then it says that after this, they were presented to the Lord as a kind of living sacrifice. Look at it in verse 11. Aaron, high priest, shall then present the Levites before the Lord, look, as a wave offering, very unusual kind of offering, uh, a wave offering from the sons of Israel that they may qualify to perform the service of the Lord. It, it was called the wave offering because it was literally part of a sacrificed animal, which the priest lifted up, waved before Almighty God. It was the best part of the animal. It was its right shoulder, the juiciest, meatiest, best, not defective, not not second rate. It was the best cut of meat for the best God we could ever imagine. And so the high priest waved it, lifted it up. Oh, God, the first fruits are yours. The best of what we have to offer is yours. And this is saying, Levites, that's you. Living sacrifices. Reminds me of Romans. Does it not you, this text in Romans Chapter 12 about presenting your bodies as a, how does it say, living? God doesn't want us dead. He wants us living. Living sacrifice. Then what is it? Holy. Acceptable. And this is your spiritual service of worship. Do you see how this applies to us? You see, it's the same. I'm telling you, there's nothing. This applies to us. So, so, so they're offered as a way, the best we have, oh God, the best of time and talents and resources is yours. Now verse 12, the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the bulls and then offer the one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering to make atonement for the Levite. Oh my goodness. When, when, when the Levi, this is a different kind of laying on of hands. When the Levites laid their hands on these, uh, innocent substitute living beings the levites essentially said under the guidance of the high priest the levites repeated these words oh most holy god please accept the sacrifice of this innocent living creature in my place for the stroke is due me for i have sinned against you oh god Please accept this one upon whom I lay my hands as the substitute for my sin. Please accept its shed blood as a covering for my sin. Let the sacrifice 
of this animal serve as a substitute providing atonement for me. It is the grand doctrine we call the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. And look elsewhere if you will, but you'll not find it in any other religion or faith group. It emanates from the book, the Bible, which is the revelation of Almighty God. It is a foreign concept, I tell you this. Substitutionary, of course, this is a foreshadowing, don't you know, of the Lamb of God. By faith, we've laid our hands on his sacrifice, have we not? And we have said, oh, Father, thank you for accepting the horrific uh, pain, suffering, mockery, scorn, rejection, degradation, and torturous death of your own son in my place, to whom the stroke was due. Oh, God, thank you for being my substitute. Thank you for making me clean through the blood of your son, the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God. So so that's what they did over here. Called to serve, but enlightened enough to know they could not do it perfectly and sinlessly. In fact, they needed a provision for their sin. Well, then it says, verse 13, have the Levites stand before Aaron. Present them as a wave offering. Separate the Levites from among the sons. The Levites shall be mine, God says. And after that, the Levites make, after that, they can go in to serve in the tent of meeting. But you shall cleanse them, present them as a wave offering. They're wholly given to me from among the sons. I've taken them for myself instead of Every first issue of the womb, firstborn of all the sons of Israel, for every firstborn from among the sons of Israel is mine, among the men and among the animals. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for my... The tenth horrific plague to befall the land of Egypt was death of the firstborn, but those people upon whose doorposts were spread the blood of the Passover lamb were spared the consequences of the angel of death. And God said, uh, they were mine too. I let them live in my place. I'll take the whole tribe of Levites. They belong to me. So verse 18, I've taken the Levites instead of every firstborn. The firstborn in Egypt died. The firstborn in Israel did not. Therefore, every firstborn, everyone is owed to God. He said, I'll take the Levites. Said, I've given the Levites as a gift, verse 19, to Aaron. Well, I want to tell you, if they belong to God, he can do with them what he wants. He gave them away. He gave redeemed people, redeemed by the uh, shed blood of the Passover lamb. <laughs> he gave them to the high priest, Aaron, in order to serve the high priest in the tabernacle. You see what's going on here? So so here's the deal, folks. Um, it goes on to say in verse 20, Moses and Aaron and all the congregation did this according to what God said. And verse 21, the Levites purified themselves from sin and washed and so on. Verse 22, after that, the Levites went in to perform their service. 
then verse 23, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is what applies to the Levites from 25 years old and upward. They shall enter to perform service. 25 and upwards. But in Numbers chapter 4, verse 3, it says that the starting point for Levites is 30, not 25. Do we have an error in the Bible? No. We have an error in human thinking. It appears what happened is at 25, a person could, a Levite, uh, could begin his service as an apprentice. And there would be five years of training under the supervision of a more mature senior Levite. And then at age 30, go ahead, go get him, tiger. You've been mentored, you've been trained, now you can go. So they begin at age 25, but, but notice verse 25, at the age of 50, they shall retire. Look at that. Retire at age 50. From what? From service in the work and not work anymore. They may, however, assist their brothers in the tent of meeting to keep an obligation. But they themselves shall do no work. Hmm. What does that mean? The Levites were tasked with the responsibility of taking down and setting up the tabernacle, all its furnishings and all that belonged to it. Heavy stuff. Um, You needed people doing this service in the prime of their life, 25 to 50. Let's just face it, folks. The body doesn't do what it used to do. That's the way it is, nor does the mind. So God is saying the heavy work is to be left. For the heavy work of bearing the burden of the tabernacle, the holy tabernacle, uh, where God established his presence, that heavy work is supposed to be done by the younger Levites. So what does that mean? We put, we put the older ones out to forced retirement, to put them out to pasture? No, no, no. No, 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 no. It says, though they no longer need to do the heavy work, leave it to the younger ones, they can assist. So the primary role of the other Levites is the same as should be the primary role, my dear folks, of people like me with gray to white hair. (laughs) Encouragement of younger ones. Mentoring of younger ones. Positioning of younger ones. Training of younger ones. Praying for younger ones. Defending Younger ones coming alongside younger ones, just as Paul did with Timothy. Why? Because we're all moving on. That's the way it is. And so the uh, some older saints cling to their power, frankly, to the death of their churches. When in fact, they should exercise their wisdom of years, their maturity, their stability in the direction Not of retirement as we know it, doing nothing. Oh, no. That is never, ever God's will for a Christian. We don't retire from serving the Lord. That doesn't happen. The primary deal should be positioning the younger leaders to be right at the table so as to take over when older ones of us are, are done. That's the way it is. And as you get older, I just, you all know this, my fellow Older people. Um, uh, 
You can't multitask like younger ones. You, can, you do one thing at a time and that fairly slowly. You, you don't process things the way it is unbelievable. You know, when, when my sons talk to me about they're showing me something like one of these electronic things, you know, they're showing they think because they've told it to me once they're done. I got it. I slow down. I slow down. Can you draw me a diagram? Can you, can you, can it's just, I, our brain cells, they, they just don't function the way they used to, not to mention, uh, you, you know, our, our bodies. That's just the way, it's a grand and glorious thing. That just means we're getting closer to go home. I think it's a one, I mean, uh, nothing, to, nothing to, to be fearful of. It's a wonderful, so it's very, very important. But thank God for what's going on in our church where we, we're a multi-generational church. That's not true of every church. It's really good. There are grandchildren and there are grandparents. And that is just magnificent. So those of us who are, who are moving on, our major strokes have to be positioning the next generation. Mentor them now. Build into their lives now. Show them how to serve now. Show them how to work the system now. Teach them good theology now. Teach them how to relate to people now. Teach them how to dress <laughs> now. Teach them about the value of church. Teach them about the value of family. Teach them about personal purity, impart ministry skills, all the rest now. And too many of our churches, those are the ones that are shutting their doors all across the land. The church is dying with, with its present uh, demographic because they're not bringing younger ones to the table. Why? Because they're threatened by younger ones. Why are they? Because younger ones are different than older ones. They speak differently. They dress differently. They do things Differently. That's because they're younger ones. And so because uh, that's not the way I was raised or that's the way we did it when I was in church. We're not letting these young. OK, well, close your doors when when, when you pass. So so too will your church. That is just not a good thing. So so we kind of see that paradigm right right over here. It's a paradigm of service. Always serving. Always. Or helping younger ones to serve. Uh, in a more effective and efficient way. Okay, so here's the deal. What is this all about? How does this apply to us? I'll give it to you real simply. You are the Levites. So am I. That's how it applies. That's it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race. A royal Priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Now get this, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Have you received divine light? then you must live a life of dedicated service. You see it? As it was in the old covenant, it is in the new covenant, and evermore shall be. We are uh, the new covenant equivalent of the Levites. You, me, all of us. Having been enlightened, we serve. It's not an option. So as they first were cleansed, so too we. They were cleansed by purifying water. We are cleansed, thank God, by the blood of the Lamb. 
having been cleansed. It's a declaration of cleanness by God's grace. Now we have to live that way. See, so that's the responsibility. We can't be a group of people who are living in an unclean way and expecting that our offering of service will be acceptable to Almighty God. We've been cleansed by the blood. Now let's live that way. Dedication of our lives to the work of God and to the worship of God, I think we can see in the text, is a very serious and sacred thing. It involves cleansing and sacrifice and uh, 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 authorization and approval from the body and support from others and, and all the rest. Dear folks, we know what we have been saved from. We have been saved from the penalty of our sin. But I don't think we know quite as much about what we have been saved for. Saved from sin, saved for service. That's the norm. That's the way it is. If you are a Christian, you have been called to the worship of God and to work for the glory of God, just as the Levites were called to render their service. Now the honor is ours, and it's just that. It's an honor. I need to tell you this. Though you and I are called to serve clean, don't wait to be perfect before you step up and volunteer to serve in your church. Uh, That's not going to happen. It was wonderful, wonderful to see in the text we just read that the Levites were obligated to offer sin, uh, burnt offerings for their own trespasses and sins. They were called, they were uh, committed, but they were far from perfect. And so they needed a provision for their sin. So don't let your imperfections, we all have flaws, uh, that's for sure. Don't let your flaws and imperfections and even failings keep you from a life of dedicated worship and dedicated work uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ who saved you from your imperfections and from your sins, he being the only perfect one. The Levites were utterly unworthy to be employed in the service of the most holy God. And so too are you and I, utterly unworthy Grace, grace, God's grace. God has graciously, in spite of our lack of worth and all the rest, he has graciously saved us from sin and called us into sacred service for his glory and for the good of his people. So my fellow Christians, uh, some of us struggle with identity crisis. Who am I? So you, you done came to the right place. I can solve your identity crisis uh, tonight, in just a little phrase, you are a wave offering. That's who you is. So don't uh, wrestle with the, that identity thing any longer. I'll tell you who you are. You are a wave offering. You have been purchased by Almighty God, therefore he owns you. And he gave you to the high priest. No, 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 not Aaron. The far better high priest, the Lord Jesus to serve for the glory of his name and for the good of his people. And you have to render your service not as as if it's leftovers, but as if it's the best of what you have to give. You, your life, is a wave offering. Oh, God, 
I lift up to you the best of what I have, the prime of my life and my latter years, whatever it is. I may do different things, but I am always going to lift up to you the best of what I have, the best of my time, the best of my resources, the best of my abilities, the best of what I have. Oh, God. I am being waved before you. Oh, God, you came down so that I could be lifted up, not as an adversary to be judged, but as a wave offering to be acceptable to you for your worship and for the work of your kingdom. Isn't that great? I must tell you, everything is topsy-turvy today. And this getting older guy... My head spins. I tell you, you can't even absorb all the rapid fire changes that are happening around our world. But I'm so glad I'm not going to get lost in the shuffle of the turbulent sea in which we live. I know who I is. I'm a wave offering. And uh, people have ambitions and goals and purposes and all the rest for whatever they want. Mine has to be, I have to reserve the best of what I have to lift up to Almighty God uh, for his worship and for his work. That's who I am. I'm a wave off. Isn't that great? Isn't that? Listen here. I'm preaching to the choir. Uh, Most here have already found the wonderful satisfaction of serving uh, the Lord Jesus and how it counts for eternity. But if you've not yet, can I tell you a few things? You're needed. It's not just busy work. Uh, no church is healthy unless all of its members are fully engaged in utilizing the best of what they have for the glory of God and the good of the people. Everyone is needed. Not to do the same thing, I'm in awe sometimes as we sit around in our staff meetings and, and I, in my mind, I look at the parties that I have the privilege of serving with and we discuss things and people share, uh, what they're doing and I, I think to myself, oh my goodness, I couldn't do that in a million years. I, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. And then a lot of times I say, I don't want to do that. Well, I'm glad I didn't get asked to do that. That's the beauty, don't you see, of our family. Nobody is of more importance than anybody else. Everyone is so needed, so important. And dear folks, as we are on the horizon, thank God for blessing us with uh, uh, an approaching reality, which is our new facility. It's fast approaching. (gasps) Do you know what it's going to (laughs) take to populate the rooms and hallways of that building to make it an inviting place. And and, uh, if you ever want to uh, uh, be um, uh, reassured about the legitimacy of investing in a building, read First Chronicles. I've been reading First Chronicles, absolutely. I've been having a hard time getting to sleep at night, so I've been reading First Chronicles. I mean, that is a rough book. But it is unbelievable to see how God so specifically orchestrated and assigned his people to tasks in the building known as the temples. These were gatekeepers. These were their shifts. These were greeters. These were the agricultural people. These were the keepers of the treasury. These are the ones who dealt with this. These are the ones who... 
Oh my goodness. This is the guy who's going to do the decoration and I want a hundred pomegranates over here and I want you to carve and I want you to do and I want you. Oh, and by the way, I want some of you Levites to do nothing but sing. Singers. I want you to sing for the glory of God. And by the way, I want 120 Levites to do nothing but play the trumpet. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Everyone had a place. Everyone. And they were not called individually. We got to watch it as Americans. You know, rugged individualism? No. We got called individually. We're saved individually, I should say. But then we're called into a body of Christ. It cannot be healthy. It cannot grow. It cannot move forward unless every member contributes to the whole. And then the whole is far greater than the sum of the parts. It is an organization. Read First Chronicles. Tightly organized. Administrators, executors, financial people, building people, artisans, artists, creative people, teachers of the word, singers. Oh, my goodness. A place for everyone. Everyone in his... So I must tell you, forget about messages you've received from others. This is the message that God has given. I have a place for you. And it isn't busy work. <laughs> I need you to get involved. And can I tell you something? What I did as a new Christian, I didn't know what my spiritual gift was and all that. I didn't even know there was such a thing. You know, you're a new Christian. You don't know which end is up. I just got good counsel from a guy. He said, Stuart, just get busy. And let God help you define what you're good at and what you ain't. Don't be sitting on a rock reading a 10 million books about what your spiritual gift is. Get to work. So that's what I did. And the first thing I did is I, I worked with the preschool children and found out that ain't my gift. <laughs> that was really. Then they had a day to come to the church. We're going to remodel the church. It was an old country church, you know, outside a military installation. They needed guys bringing tools. Some are going to do plumbing, some electrical. And I found out that ain't my gift either. This is really. But how do you know? Do some. Pick up a hammer and then you figure out. Oh, my goodness. That's like a weapon in your hand. You do this. So, so, so I'm all for studying the Bible and don't, please don't miss it. I mean, that's, that's what I do. But sometimes, what's that commercial? Just do it. Just do it. Just get busy. If you don't know what it is, do something. Because it, I, I find that a ship moving is easier for God to kind of turn around if you're in the right direction. You know, one of these stationary objects, I will not be moved. That's right. You won't, you won't know. All right, so I close with this. There was a violinist named Niccolo Paganini. You ever hear him? I mean, a virtuoso. Anyway, he's nearing the end of his life. He decided to will his uh, masterful violin to uh, a city in Italy, Genoa. But they had a condition. He said, I'll give this to you, but no one could use it. They said, okay. So Paganini was like an expert musician, but he didn't know much about wood. Because the thing about wood, if you want to extend the life of wood, you got to use it. It, it. When you use wood, it uh, it delays the deterioration process. So he says, here's my violin, but my wood violin, but I don't want anyone to use it. And so they, they complied with his wishes. And, and you know what it is today? It's just an old moth-eaten, moldy, old, useless 
relic kind of a deal. Could I tell you something? That happens to a Christian who's idle. And so the other reason for services is that you need to do it and I need to do it. Otherwise, you just dry up and wither on the vine. I mean, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do? How much bad news could you listen to on TV? I mean, I, how much golfing could you do? Come on. Come on. I don't want to be like that violin. Stuck in some museum somewhere. Serve, serve. Wave offerings. Isn't that great? Oh my goodness. Lord Jesus, thank you. You saved us from sin, but not just that. You saved us from uselessness, from insignificance, from worthlessness, from spinning our wheels, from not knowing who we are. And you say, I'll tell you what. You are a royal priesthood. Now serve me. Oh, God, thank you for enabling it, for equipping us. Thank you for taking us even with our imperfections and weaknesses and so on. Thank you for making us to be a kingdom of priests and our hearts go out to the one, the two, who's idle. Oh, God, would you stir up that person tonight just to volunteer to do something, at least to get active until you more precisely define what activity you have for them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving us into the body of Christ, each member of which is very, very, very valuable. May it be that not one person leave here tonight without realizing how important they are uh, to your glory and for the good of your people. Thank you for everything, Lord Jesus. We really look forward to being presented before you one day face to face uh, as a people group with whom you are well pleased. We yearn for you to be able to utter these words to us when we see you. Well done, good and faithful servants. Oh God, let that be the case with us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.